Welcome everybody to Way of the Blade, the podcast. I'm Phil Schneider uh, of Segunda Caeta blog and the author of The Way of the Blade, the book, 100 of the Greatest Bloody Wrestling Matches of All Time. This podcast is going to be covering one of those matches each podcast with a different guest, uh, talking about uh, that match and what we love about it and what we don't like about it. I'm here with uh, Eric Ritz, also of Segunda Caeta blog, yeah. my co uh Co- been, co-writer it's been like a decade now maybe even more than a decade i think, I think it's been a long time the, the the blog's been around longer than that you've been on for about not since the very beginning but very close to the very beginning yeah and it, it every year it it's an increasing majority of the time obviously but i missed the first three years and have been there for the next 11 or 12 and probably is- written as much if not more than me on that so Plenty of cool (laughs) reviews to write. Also, we have, um, and so it's come to this, which is a movie podcast that you uh, host, co-host. Yeah, me and my buddy Charlie host a movie podcast. We got uh, almost 70 episodes, and we put one out every week, and we've only missed one week in a year and a half. It's really great. Okay, so everybody should, if you're interested in in, uh, movies, which almost everybody's at least mildly interested in movies that's not that yeah. niche of an interest right if you know if movies or something yeah. you like if you like the general term of movies yes. then you'll love our podcast all right so we are here uh to talk about killer carl cox versus dick murdoch from yeah. all japan um professional wrestling uh on 12 9 1976 so december 9 1976 not far after I was born. So most of the, I, I, this book's got a hundred uh, matches written about it. Three of them were written before I was born and the rest were after I was born. So this is the one, the oldest uh, match of the Phil Schneider era. Of, oh, nice. Uh, of wrestling. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a while ago. Um, and it's a great, it, it's a, I th- believe it's a Texas death match or a death match of some sort of death match. Uh, yeah, stipulation. It's a, te- it's a Texas death match, a battle of KKK versus a member of the KKK. Right. I mean, Killer Carl Cox probably also a member of the KKK. If we actually go ahead and, uh... I'm pretty sure he was rather progressive. Okay. Yeah, I, he he was a Texas resident, but I'm pretty sure he was a pretty progressive guy who, uh, you know. I think he was just a fan of alliteration, and in this case, it was unfortunate alliteration, but I also have no doubt that he played up the persona for his wrestling character. Oh, yeah, he originally wrestled as Killer Carl Cox with K, and then Carl and Cox both with Cs. Yes. So this was definitely him playing up a stereotype of a Texan man. Um, and this this match is one of... I love the visual of an all-Japan match whenever it's two uh, gaijin working in front of, like, 12,000 Japanese people. It's such a weird aesthetic to me to have two white guys battling in front of, you know, an exclusively Japanese crowd. Like, it'd be bizarre to see Misawa versus Kawada in Texas. Yeah, totally. And every time you have seen something like that in America, it always is weird. Like it, like it yeah. rarely isn't a little off, for sure. Yeah, it's it's strange, and so I love just seeing these 
like pot-bellied Texan men just punching each other in the eyeball in front of a bunch of like horrified Japanese people for 20 minutes. It's so great. Yeah, so this was a big sort of, it was almost like uh, conceptually, like the, the, uh, Ultraman was kind of bringing over this feud that was had been run other places super hot. They had a big feud um, in uh, Mid-South. Right. Uh, where eventually the initial idea was uh, Murdoch uh, was t- uh, Buck Robley and Killer Carl Cox turned on Murdoch and some, I think 74, 75, beat the hell out of him. And then you had a bunch of Murdoch versus Buck Robley matches uh, where including oh Murdoch beating Buck Robley and loser leave town matches at various towns. So he'd go, go to every, t- he'd, he'd, lo- he'd leave about five or six different towns. And then you had like Killer Kyle Cox and him had feud like Texas Death matches, Brass Knuckles matches, Bull Rope matches. Um, the first big New Orleans Superdome card um, was it was on the the main event was Bill Watts Terry Funk for the NWA title, and the semi main event was Murdoch and Cox in a Jim Bowie Death match, which was like a blindfold match, um, which probably wasn't great, but. But I can imagine that this is like a t- this is kind of our our one chance. There's no other footage of these two guys having their of this feud. But this is our chance right. to see what this would have looked like. What the their Texas Death Match in 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 Shreveport would have looked like. What their you know bull rope match in in Odessa would have looked like. You just illustrated why I never bother looking up past cards that I don't think we'll ever get to see. Because just hearing about Murdoch, Robley, and Carl Cox, you know, you know how important Buck Robley is to me. Sure. And then when you factor, there's not many more guys I'd rather watch fight than Carl Cox and Dick Murdoch. Buck Robley's a guy I also love fighting, and knowing that there's all these years and years of matches from '75 to '77. On up, even through the early 80s, the, of these guys just punching each other's faces is just cruel to me. And I would counter, I would love to see these two in a blindfold match. I, Cox and Murdoch are two of the better uh, staggerers in wrestling history. And I think Murdoch would, just like that Carlos Colon a Stan Hansen bull rope match where it's like, oh, I don't think anybody could have a better bull rope match than Stan Hansen. Like, I think the blindfold match, if you just close your eyes and picture Dick Murdoch with a hood, well, wait, don't picture that. (laughs) (laughs) It's the last thing some people saw, unfortunately. (laughs) Yeah, sad. Okay. Scrap that. Picture Murdoch with a mask over it. Well, yeah. Anyway. (laughs) But I'm just visualizing Murdoch you know, backpedaling while wearing a mask and then falling butt first backwards through the ropes, which you know had to have happened. I think Murdoch could have had the best possible blindfold match ever. That's a really good point. He was a guy who always could find interesting things to do in weird matches with stipulations. Like, he's a guy who's got a wide variety of shtick. You're right, that match was probably incredible. Good point. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. You know you know at one point they each took turns hauling off and slugging the referee. Oh, you know yeah. that there was at least four non uh wrestlers that got punched 
by a blindfolded Carl Cox and Dick Murdoch. Because, you know, as we see in this All Japan match, they end up wrecking about a dozen ring boys and a couple of referees. So if they're blindfolded and don't know who they're swinging at, I bet the whole ringside area got took punches and brain busters. Oh, man, totally. Now, so, I, I bet Bill Watts versus Terry Funk for the NWA title wasn't bad either. But that whole oh card is pretty good. Again, it's probably just sitting in a box somewhere in, in, like, in like the network offices. And they're not bothering to, uh, to, to like transfer the footage because we've got one more like we've got to do like a ride along with, uh, uh, yeah. with Edge and Christian. Or whatever. I need to like, see what game like Xavier Woods has been playing. Yeah. Or like uh, go pants shopping with Fandango instead of uh, instead of any sort of old mid South era footage of Bill Watts walking tall against Terry Funk. Nah. And I mean, I guess they're probably right because probably a million more people want to see what Big E uh, gets at the drive-through than. <laughs> than Killer Carl Cox. Yeah. It's, a, Dick it's an irritating decision, but not like an unwarranted one, sure. Yeah, it's supremely annoying to about 30 of us. Yeah. So, ugh. But this match, uh, this was, believe it or not, my visual introduction to Killer Carl Cox. Because this is a guy who stopped wrestling by, what, 80, 82? 83? Yeah. Well, he was a big deal in the 60s. I mean, yeah. he, he was he old during this match. Eras that we don't have. We have more French catch footage than we have, like, Killer Carl Cox matches. There's a little of the stuff in Australia, uh, which mm-hmm. was a big deal in Australia. We've got his baby face turn in Australia, which is really incredible, where he talks about how uh, he had, you know, his mom passed away and he promised her he'd be a good person. So he decides yeah. to no longer be a bad guy. Uh, so we have some of that. <laughs> Which, just like Buck Robley uh, leaving a dozen different towns, uh, Carl Cox's poor mother died across several different years. Oh, sure. She, she passed. She, she was like a, a, cursed, a cursed figure yeah. to pass and, pass and return and pass and return. Some sort she of was event. rejuvenated and then killed <laughs> off over the span of a decade. Sisyphean torture. Uh, yeah. I think one of my favorite things about this match is that Dick Murdoch was 30 in it. Oh my God. Because <laughs> um, he looks, the crazy thing about Dick Murdoch, I think I even wrote this in the, the entry I did on this match, my book. He's a guy who looked 50 his entire life, but actually never made it to 50. <laughs> he died, he died, he died, he was 49 when he died of a heart attack. Um, so it's like he, so he never actually made it to fifty. Even though every time you watch a Dick Murdoch match and you ask how old he is, yeah, like fifty two, fifty two in this, <laughs> fifty one in this. And he was thirty in this match, even though this looked like the idea of this. I mean, I think this was the idea of these. You these guys kind of look like they were the same age, like two guys yeah. who hated each other since high school and then both went to like Vietnam. And now we're at the VFW Hall, and they're on the opposite sides of the bar, and they're grumbling and telling stories and telling lies and glaring over each other. And at some point, they one of them finally says, screw it, I've wanted to punch this guy for 25 years. And they kick over the bar stools and step into the step into the middle of the bar and start swinging. That's what this match is. But the fact is, like Mur- uh, Cox is like 25 years older than Murdoch and like helped train him. Yeah, really, the only tell is, is the hairline. But... 
but Murdoch looks like one of those old guys who just somehow ends up being 80 years old with a ridiculously thick head of hair. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, Carl Cox, for all I know, was bald when he was 22. Murdoch just looks like one of those 80-year-old guys who has the same Conway Twitty pompadour, like, at the very end of his life that he had when he was, like, 16. Yeah. And meanwhile, Carl Cox is one of those Robert Duvall types who, 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 you know, Robert Duvall, if you see him in The Godfather, you're like, okay, he's probably a 30-year-old man who, who, you know, prematurely lost it. And then for the rest of his career, Robert Duvall just looked like Carl Cox, no matter what his age was. So Carl Cox is, to me, the most violent version of Robert Duvall in The Apostle. That's a great description of and Robert Duvall beat a man to near death with a baseball bat in The Apostle, but I'd still put Carl Cox more violent than Robert yeah. Duvall. Uh, but it seems like that same vibe. Yeah, I can't. I can't believe Murdoch's thirty. I mean, sure, if I knew what year it's taking place, that does not look like a like a thirty year old man. <laughs> yeah, well, the and, and end of the road Murdoch looked like a guy who was older than he was, right? Like you're Murdoch yeah. and you're hardliners, Dick Murdoch. You're PWFG versus Fujiwara, Dick Murdoch. Look like a guy who was, you know, like ne- like Negro Navarro now or something like that. Well, that was in his 60s. Uh, I, I love that Murdoch established by the age of like 26 what the exact size of his beer gut was going to be. Because if you, if you watch any like early 90s FMW Dick Murdoch or, uh, you know, his like WCW Slamber rematch, like, his belly is the exact same – like, I'm not sure how it didn't grow any bit. He just developed his beer gut size way early. It's an appropriate they, beer gut size, too. That's, like, a good beer gut size. It's a nice-looking beer gut. It works for him. Like, if Dick yeah. Murdoch wouldn't be Dick Murdoch if he was, like, you know, cut up. <laughs> no. No, like, it, it doesn't make sense. He, You picture that body – with like a short sleeve white dress shirt and a brown tie selling like radiator parts. Right. Like and that's that's belly. That's the Texas bod. And right then there. and then on the weekends getting together with his buddies and uh burning a cross on the on the lawn sure. of the you know, like the ophthalmologist. The, the, the one black ophthalmologist in the sure. town who just wants to live his life. <laughs> yeah. No, this this match, believe it or not, uh, I love it so much, and the blood is not even the thing that even stands out to me. Like, I think this match would have been as successful without the blood. The blood is just the delicious cherry syrup over this great, great, like, visual. Yeah, I mean, I, which is kind of one of the things I did when I put together the book, is I, I wanted to make it, like, you qualify if there's blood. Yes. You know what that I mean? Makes, I think that's fair. It's a necessary but not sufficient part of making it to the book. So I have matches in here that are, there's a bloody nose or a little bit of a bloody mouth. You know what I mean? Like not, the, the, I mean, Hase versus Mood is in this book too, right? So there are definitely matches that are just repulsive. But there's also a match where, you know, like, oh, okay, uh, this guy got a bloody mouth at 
minute 28 of a 30 minute match but now i could write about it because it did it, it <laughs> checked the box so yeah this isn't a match that you think of as like oh my god if you want to we're doing like a youtube compilation of wrestling's bloodiest matches i mean it's got some blood in it these guys bleed a lot but it's it is much Maybe. more about like you know unloading Cox really does with with more footage i think we would be able to determine this obviously but cox really does come off like if this is indicative of any of the other Texas death matches or stipulations that he worked, he, he seems like one of the best bleeders in wrestling. It, it, it really covers his face really nicely yeah. in this one. And having that, uh, that horseshoe haircut where you get the blood going back on, on the scalp kind of look, that's, that's really cool. That's cool. Yeah. Murdoch gets the, the straw blonde hair, so he has the... Uh, the counter with the great bloody hair and the, you know, his blood starts. Uh, what I love about his bloody face is that it starts in a spot that doesn't look like he bladed. It looks like Carl Cox just punched him right between the eyes and it busted open his brow, you know? And maybe, but, right? And I'm pretty, pretty sure that happened because as this whole match, there's not really high spots in this one. Yeah, we have the one big calf the big knee off the uh, calf branding knees. That's a pretty big high spot. But outside of that, you're right. Everything else is just punches well, and kicks. You get, you get a couple of brain busters, the, the cattle branding, and then just punching stomach and face. Yeah. And it's it's perfect. <laughs> it's perfect. It's, this is one of my all-time... When I think of what my favorite matches are, this, this one immediately comes to mind. Yeah. I think that one of the other interesting things about it is that I think... Um, you realize when well, you watch this match, and, and Murdoch was a guy who was helped train by Carl Cox in a big, they were tag teams, obviously, for a while until they had a big feud. That Murdoch is basically just doing Carl Cox almost the way like Dick Slater just does Terry Funk. And obviously, we think of Dick Murdoch as Dick Murdoch because we've seen so much more Dick Murdoch than we've seen Killer Carl Cox. But like, sure. I, just like I imagine if you. Had, if we'd only ever seen Dick Slater and like one or two Terry Funk matches, you'd think, oh, wow, look at this. This guy's got this really <laughs> unique, interesting style. Which is like, no, no, he's just, he just, he's just took Carl Cox's thing and did Carl Cox's thing. And Carl Cox's thing is incredible. And Dick Murdoch's really good at doing it. But yeah. it really it's feels great, like, wow, he's less of an original than you may have thought he was. <laughs> it's a great point. This, the kind of stuff that Murdoch adds to it is Murdoch adds the right kind of. Terry Funk stooging, which Carl Cox does not do as much. And, well, technically, though, in this match, Murdoch doesn't do as much of his, you know, shaky legs and that kind of thing. But he has that really fun theatrical kind of bumping where there's this great moment where they're fighting in the corner. And this is the kind of pro wrestling that I watch it that it's my favorite pro wrestling when these two guys are basically just gripping at each other's face while a ref tries to separate them. You know, it's, it's your description of two uh, Vietnam buddies finally fighting at the VFW. You know, they're not really, like, uh, working this clean punch exchange. It's one, it's Cox holding Murdoch by the jaw while Murdoch's, you know, trying to grab his hands around Cox's, one hand's, like, grabbing his hair and the other one's kind of gripped around his cheekbone and ear and they're just kind of holding on and not wanting to get, to back up at all 
and they shove the ref out of the way, and Cox just punches Murdoch right in the eyeball, and Murdoch gets backed up and then kind of trips over the ref's legs and just plops on his butt. And uh, th- that kind of selling from Murdoch. Uh, Carl Cox was a really good bumper in that he took really the perfect kind of realistic pro wrestling bumps. Uh, kind of the way that Tauway is a good bumper, where he's not a extravagant bumper, but he seems like he knows exactly how to bump the move that he just took. He doesn't yeah. take it you know, fast back bumps or something. He takes more crumbling bumps or uh, bumps that knock him down to his knees or when he gets tied up in the ropes after uh, after taking a big punch. Like, you know, they're more realistic within the physics of pro wrestling. And and it's kind of what makes these punches look even better because they, they don't have that dramatic flat back bump uh, silliness to them. Yeah, it'd be interesting, I think, uh, how this match would have been worked differently in, you know, Galveston or something like that, where Cox was the heel and Murdoch was the babyface, which is the way that most of their feud was run. Because in this yeah. match, I don't think there is anybody particularly working heel or babyface. And in some ways, Murdoch is almost working heel, right? He's the one taking the more extravagant bumps. But it really is just them fighting. And I'd be interested to see we- if Cox does more stooging and bumping if it's Murdoch trying to get his revenge, uh, you know. Yeah, I, I think in Japan, when there's not really a, a storyline heel or face, I think the older participant automatically has the baby face sympathy. You right, know, which like, is technically sure. Killer Call Cox, although would you really be able to tell much watching these guys? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Murdoch's you know, 30, Cox is 54, and they look like total, like, like you know, they, they played on the same, uh, the same uh, high school baseball team. Yeah, well, you know, a lot of times, especially within the King's Road uh, style of hierarchy, some guys wouldn't turn baby face the way they would turn baby face is just by getting too old like they would they just work a heel for their whole career and then suddenly they just become a sympathetic old man one year like Russia Kamura was heel a lot and then he just became kind of too old so then he became an automatic de facto baby face for a while and so killer Carl Cox might have that de facto baby face but yeah Murdoch's taking a little shots but at the same time they're both hiding some kind of chain in their trunks both of them are using hidden weapon shots all throughout yeah well this match is kind of the pointing Spider-Man meme right like you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean in a lot of ways right which is kind of one of the kind of cool things about it um, oh everything about this is cool Every everything about it the if you if you take apart this match move by move, every part of it is cool. It has some of my very favorite uh, collar and elbow tie-ups I've ever seen, where it really feels like these guys are pushing against each other. You know, Murdoch Murdoch has that he knows how to utilize his belly. He really, I, I'd love to find out that he was actually a really vain man who really worked on getting the right amount of beer belly. <laughs> Like, <laughs> because I love, it seems too good to be an accident. There's this one lockup 
where Murdoch's starting to get the better of him, and he's almost up on his tiptoes getting that lockup leverage on Cox. And you see some wrestlers are really good at sucking it in. They know how to hold their abs to to always show their V-line torsos. And Murdoch's just got, as he's getting this leverage on Cox, it's like he's got a hang-down belly like a pregnant dog. <laughs> he's like up on his tiptoes, and that belly is just hanging down. And, oh, man, it's so good. He's got that great fat guy body where he's not a real fat guy, but his arms are kind of skinnier, and he doesn't have a developed chest, so he's just got this perfectly round belly. Oh, I love his usage of his of his belly during these moves. But every everything these guys you sound do, like a Bruce Willis's girlfriend in Pulp Fiction. <laughs> Talking about Murdoch's sexy pot. Yeah, just a sexy little pot. That's all you want. Well, I just I just love how these guys move. This is like my ideal version of a pro wrestler. I mean, I guess Jerry Lawler is my real ideal because he'll throw in, you know one to two really big bumps in a match, but he's not doing tons of high spots other than the pile driver. He'll take two big backdrops in a match. Uh, and other than that, it's 80% of the best worked punches you've ever seen. And a lot of the punches in this match are very clearly worked punches. These guys, you know, there was the ones that were meant to draw blood, and those were obviously thrown harder. And they were really good about if a shot was supposed to bump somebody and it was supposed to be a big knockdown punch. They were both good at really making those punches count. But you could tell these guys were not just full-off Terry Funk punching each other in the forehead. They were working punches incredibly. Yeah. Because they were aiming these punches right at the cheekbone and right at the jawline and... They were not close quarters punches where you can more easily work them and take away the impact. They were swinging from their hip on some of these and just knowing the right exact spot to land. Their cheekbones would have been busted open if these punches were not, you know, 50% work. Their bones would have been jutting out of there. And they managed to throw probably 70, 80 punches (laughs) and all of them managed to hit the mark perfectly. It's incredible to me. Yeah, I, and and I actually am guessing none of them hurt. Yeah, like, I'm guessing they came out of this match with you know some a, a butterfly bandage over the eye where they bladed, and maybe you know I, I that that uh, I don't know. Is there any way you can do a calf branding and not at least mess up somebody's neck a little bit? I don't know. It doesn't seem yeah. like possible. But otherwise mm. than that, they are probably fine. Because they probably, I mean, you know, these guys were running this, you know, running this on a circuit for years, right? Yeah. This wasn't a case of them having, like, one match on, you know, one PWG match where they get to dump each other on their heads 50 times. He's got a... This was a, yeah, this was a series. Yeah, this was, you know, this was town, this town, that town, this town, that town. Over and over again, and then, you know, we put a blindfold on each other in the Superdome and see what happens. Yeah, but that's, it's just so amazing to me, the success rate that has to happen. And I think there's too many fans that watch a match like this and, you know, will complain about the lack of high spots or that they just punched each other and how it could devalue a punch. But it's so amazing to me 
the success rate that has to happen for them to be able to work this match, you know, 50 times over a three-year span. Like, at what, all it takes is one errant punch for, <laughs> for them to maybe think twice about doing this as a match. They probably threw 4,000 punches at each other, and they probably all landed exactly where they're supposed to land. That is incredible to me. That level of consistency. And it breeds this level of comfort. You can tell these two are incredibly comfortable with each other. And the high spots we get instead are so much more exciting because they're done in a way that every other kind of spot like this just looks silly. This match does stuff like punching each other at the same time and actually making it look like two guys who just happen to accidentally knock each other out at the same time. That never looks good. You yeah. can't, anytime somebody's supposed to hit, oh, they both kicked each other at the same time. You've seen that spot. It always comes off hokey. Yeah. The spot in this match where they both reared back and each punched each other at the exact same time and then both backpedaled, staggering into opposite corners of the ring, <laughs> selling that punch, it came off totally organic in a way that I don't think anybody else could be able to make it come off. Yeah, and I think you might also see like a complaint about this match not having a finish. But the finish that you want this match to have is them nobody you don't want to match it like this and a pinfall you wanted to end with everybody trying to finally realize they better separate these two guys before somebody gets killed and then have these guys this is the way it would end at the vfw hall right yeah this is exactly my favorite uh and i've seen people complain about this uh there's a lot of stan hansen matches that don't have a finish people say oh with a finish this would have been great it's like no i like my stan hansen matches finishing where he decides to just blindly lariat three ring boys and then punch a fan. Yeah. Like, that's, that's not cool. To, that, that's way cooler than like, oh, I wish they had finished it on that suplex instead of that. No. No, I want him I want him just wasting uh, Masao Inoue when Inoue just happens to be the guy unlucky enough to try and break up a fight. You know? I, I, I want to see some guy in a in a red tracksuit in a bad starter mustache get wasted with a Carl Cox brain buster. Yeah. There was That's a, way cooler. Yeah, totally. This is exactly exactly how this match would have ended. Yeah, like you said, this is what would happen at the VFW. The guys would let them fight it out, and then when it looked like, okay, this is probably more than we should let them fight it out, that's when the other guys back off their stools and get in between them. <laughs> right, Car Car Carl looked like he was trying to jab that beer bottle in, in Dick's eye there. and We don't want anybody to... We don't want to go home to their wives with some with us some bruises and some black eyes. We don't want one of, one of them blind. Yeah, <laughs> the, the, tr the true VFW spirit was... The FMW versus karate guys feuds. Because in a real VFW, they would break up the fight, but then the members of each of the different wars would also start fighting. Right. You know, the Desert Storm people would be going at it with the Vietnam people after after they broke up the fight, and then it would just be chaos. That that was the early FMW stuff. But this is the perfect we're all on the same side here, guys. Come on. And they're still, yeah, trying to break a beer bottle over a guy's head. <laughs> but what, what I love, it, it never really occurred to me. You, you and I have talked about this before. 
the whole Murdoch as the student of Carl Cox, and we just have hundreds of Dick Murdoch matches and like a dozen Carl Cox matches. Yeah, maybe not even a dozen. Yeah, yeah. Well, we have a lot of clipped footage. Yeah. Really, only his All Japan Classic stuff is the only stuff that's out there in full, full, and that stuff always disappears from the internet. I don't think his retirement match against Giant Baba is on the internet anymore, and I love that match. Uh, but this is really, there's so many of Cox's movements that you can see from Murdoch, they throw a brain buster the exact same way. I mean, watching Murdoch and Cox is really like seeing Benoit and Dynamite Kid. Yeah. Except, except who would have guessed that Murdoch would be less problematic <laughs> than either of us guys. Than either of those two guys. I don't know. I mean, it depends on where you're set, uh, set in your moral uh, set in your moral compass. But <laughs> I mean, is, we don't know. Was like Murdoch just a, a a beer and barbecue clansman? I mean, how far did he, did he just like show up <laughs> with the things? And He's in it for the cooler. Yeah, he's going to go, go to the Go to the picnics and shit like that, and you know, or just he's in it because all of his buddies are already in it, and if he wants to continue hanging out with his buddies, he just has to join. Right? Yeah, we don't know if he was a softball team clansman or not. Softball clansman. (laughs) I mean, it's not okay, but you know. No, no, I don't. I don't think anybody's gonna think we're defending. KKK in any am, of this. I am not defending the KKK. I'm kind of in love with the term softball clansman. <laughs> the weekend boater. Yeah. The softball clansman. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, seeing Carl Cox drop Murdoch with a brain, what a beautiful brain buster these two guys have. I don't think you can come closer to a perfect ratio of making something look like an absolute knockout finish while also protecting a guy 100%. Right. The brain buster. I the brain buster physics seems so scary to me because the line is so thin. You are coming 1 inch away from dropping this guy vertically into his spinal column. Right. Coco Ware always seemed like he would like legitimately fuck guys up with a brain buster. <laughs> Ghostbuster was horrifying. Yeah, uh, I, I heard first firsthand. Uh, you you remember you remember Mike Modest? Yes. Uh, so Modest, when WWF would still use semi untrained guys, one of his first actual matches was working uh, a WWF taping, getting squashed by Coco Beware, and he said he got the gig because nobody else wanted to take. The Ghostbuster finish. Understandably. And, yeah, understandably. <laughs> so within uh, industry job guys, Coco Beware actually had the same kind of rep that like the Steiner brothers had. <laughs> <laughs> and he somehow doesn't have that. Like, we need to bring back that. We need to remind people how afraid people were to get murdered by Coco Beware. Yeah. Coco Beware was rude to job guys. He would yeah. drop kick guys directly in the nose. Yeah, totally. Because he was such like a genial figure of my childhood, right? It's like he's got yeah. a bird, doesn't really win that much. Right? Like, you know, he's kind of like a, you know, oh, so Coco Ware. Good like old Coco it, Ware, right? Does a little dance, sings a song, and a nice, and a nice voice. You know, yeah. when you really think of him like as a savage killer, but he really was. 
when you compare the the reputations of like Haku with Coco Beware, everybody thinks of Haku as a guy that would just murder jobbers. Go back and watch three Haku matches and watch how non-murderous he is in those matches. I've I've hardly seen Haku be unprofessional match any time. And you pick three Coco Beware squash matches at random, and you will be disgusted at, like, four different times. <laughs> like, for such a happy dancing guy, you picture him wearing those big, uh, like, high-energy checkered hammer pants. <laughs> you don't picture a guy wearing these windbreaker pants to absolutely cripple another man. Yeah. There's a Coco. This is a uh, there's a Coco where Tito Santana match. Which I'm sure you've seen. That's uh-huh. like a really fun. Starts out face versus face, and then it has Tito Santana sort of turning subtle heel by the end. It was a weird match. It was on primetime wrestling. Never followed up with anything. It's not like Tito Santana then turned heel two weeks later. I don't think he ever wrestled heel. But like it was this one match where it starts out, and I think. I remember Heenan on commentary saying that Bird is nervous. Or maybe it was Coco. No, it was Coco. No, it was, yeah. And the, Heenan was nervous. He was saying, man, that Bird is worried he's going to go home in a skillet. And I wonder <laughs> if it was just Tito Santana getting pissed and getting stabbed. <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't actually any storyline thing at all. He's just like, okay, fuck, you're going to do this to me? All right. Yeah. The one time Santana works heels because he's the guy that stands up to Coco. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's possible but that's why you get a sense watching Cox and Murdoch I love watching these you know I'm not someone who's ever gone out of my way to watch bum fights you know that sounds horrifying to me but this level of trust that these two clearly had that could make it look like a bum fight is incredible to me I, I respect this style of wrestling more than any other I do not get sick of this match. I, I've watched this match a dozen times, and I will watch it at least a dozen more before I expire. I love it. I love it so much. The The way it builds throughout, I didn't even expect blood. I mean, I knew there was blood. I've watched it enough, but they work a lot of the match without blood. There's a lot of bloody matches that uh, they get to the blood early, and the way they respond to the blood in this match is almost like a happy accident. You knew it's not a happy accident, but the second Cox sees red, his whole style of punching changes. They start off the match throwing, you know, kind of big right hands at the temple and the eye and the jaw, and the second Murdoch starts bleeding down his nose, Cox starts grabbing at his nose, and he starts just like, like he's trying to rip off chunks of Murdoch's face or something. <laughs> Like, he wasn't doing that before, but it's one of those, oh, well, if we have a cut going, it'd be silly of me to not open up this cut even more. Yeah, totally. And the way, we, there's this beautiful camera shot of, so all these closed fist Carl Cox punches that he's throwing, the second Murdoch's busted open, they get this straight on shot, Murdoch's down on his butt, Cox is standing behind him, over him, and you see the middle knuckle raised on Cox's hand and he just starts driving it right in between uh, Murdoch's eyeballs like oh my god that's so nuts to me just just knuckle punching Murdoch right between his eyes over and over again just to get more color these guys are these guys are nuts I, yeah. I love 
I love it so much. This is this is a perfect match for me. This is this is my idea of a five star classic. It's it's our uh, it's our nineteen seventy six match of the year. Yeah, I think it feels like it's going to hold that. I mean, there's not as much nineteen seventy six footage out there as there is for other years, but I haven't seen anything even come close. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's a dozen matches of Jack Briscoe holding a holding a half crab for twelve minutes. Uh, to start a match, like I'm sure those are out there. They have zero chance of unseating Carl Cox, Dick Murdoch. Yeah, the chance that somebody unseats Carl Cox, Dick Murdoch is if somehow we get another Carl Cox, Dick Murdoch match. <laughs> yeah, we do that. that. We might be okay. If that blindfold, if that blindfold match is ever unearthed, literally whatever I am doing at that moment is going to be stopped immediately. I cannot imagine stopping my schedule for anything else other than Cox Murdoch blindfold match. Now that I know that that exists, that thing's going to haunt me to the end of my days. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Keep it, keep it closed. Keep your mouth, keep your mouth shut on any, that kind of stuff. I don't want to hear about it, but yeah, I don't think anything can unseat this. I, I would love, this is what you need to do. I'm gonna I'm gonna ruin your life now. You should have ranked all of the hundred matches in your book. No, I shouldn't have. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine what an arduous, unworthwhile task that would be. I, I think I know what a hundred is, uh, but you're right. I would have no idea what one is. Well, no, it's not true. I mean, I think that I'm on record as saying Sangre Chicana versus MS One is the greatest wrestling match of all time. So yeah, there's that match. I'll never be able. I love that match. Obviously, it would not be. It's not my favorite match. I know that's that's your number one all time greatest wrestling match, yeah. right? So yeah, at this point, I've stopped even suggesting other uh, match of the year contenders for that year. It's a great Cause, year because what? It's a great year. It's a great but year. I know there's no chance you're ever going to vote against <laughs> that match. I have six matches from 1983 in this book. I think it might be the most represented year. 86 is up there, too. 83 and 86 were good years for Bloody Brawls. And this is the first podcast you've done uh, to promote this book. What's exciting, and I think we can all agree on this, and we showed this during uh, the DVDVR 80s project. It's the first podcast I've recorded. I'm probably going to release... One with a bigger name first. Sorry, Eric. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Can't I? I mean, yeah, that makes sense. I guess I'm not the same kind of hook as Chris Hero. <laughs> I guess that's fair. Uh, but throughout the 80s project, the matches that consistently finished higher about a around, and this was over a broad electorate. I wasn't the one that was voting really high on Ric Flair, Terry Taylor matches. Those matches finished high. But the matches through every territory that finished high were these kind of brawls. Yeah. This is the most agreeable, you know, uh, Slaughter Patterson was like the number one WWF match. And, and that's a very much non-WWF match when you look at the 80s as a whole. That doesn't seem like a WWF-style match, you know? But that's the most agreeable uh, style. I could show Cox Murdoch to any of my non-wrestling fans, 
And this is the kind of match that would get people's attention. Because it looks like two old dudes at the VFW punching each other in the face. Yeah. It's perfect. It's perfection. Well, on that note, I think that's a, a great way to go out talking about this match as perfection. Yeah. I can't disagree. Uh, one more time, if they want to read your writing. Uh, they want to read my writing. Check out a blog called Saguna Kaida. Yep, sagunakaida.blogspot.com for now. At some point, maybe it'll switch to an actual website in the future. Who knows? Who uh, knows? We'll, we'll, we'll get there at some point. We've built up over a decade <laughs> worth of stuff. You'd think we could switch to a Patreon at some point. Who knows? Um, and yeah, if, if you want to hear me talk about movies, if you enjoyed hearing me talk about Carl Cox, and would like to take that same level of enthusiasm, but hear me talk about movies, check out my movie podcast called So It's Come to This, a movie podcast. That's available on podcast platforms. Uh, every one of them. Stitcher, SoundCloud, uh, iTunes. Uh, it's on every one of them. Okay. And if you would like to order uh, the book, The Way, Way of the Blade, 100 of the Greatest Bloody Brawls in Professional Wrestling History, uh, it's available for order on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Uh, just go there and pick it up. I think if you listen to this, you will enjoy the book. And if you didn't enjoy this, you hopefully will enjoy the book anyway. They've got some amazing art in there. It's got some I, some of the best writing I think I've ever done. And I think, there's, uh, I think people will really dig it. And certainly if you've been reading our blog for 10 years for free, go buy a book. But you can put a little. Yeah, buy a book. We've buy given book. you. We've given you daily free content. Support one of us. Yes. Support both, preferably. But come on. And yeah, it'd be odd if somebody just listened to a forty-five minute podcast about Killer Carl Cox without supporting us. But <laughs> I'm sure that person's out there. Yeah. Are you supported by listening? That's fine too. Uh, yeah. All right. Thanks so much, Eric. Uh, always a pleasure to talk to you about wrestling. And uh, this is uh, check back next week for another episode of The Way of the Blade.